1: Hello and welcome to the new Friday episode of the Transfer Window, the podcast that takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football. I'm Jonah McFarlane and joining me are our Transfer Market insiders and pundits extraordinaire Duncan Castles and Ian McGarry on today's Transfer Podcast. As Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andrew Robertson join the list of Liverpool stars to tie up their long-term futures, we look at why the Anfield Club appears so organised in comparison to other Premier League big guns, where huge names like Eden Hazard, David De Gea and Aaron Ramsey have been allowed to run down their deals. And we preview tonight's FA Cup clash between Arsenal and Manchester United, giving you our predictions for the game and inviting a social media slaughtering by delivering our combined 11. Liverpool's successful season continues at a pace, not just on the pitch, but off it as well, with the news that Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold have both signed new contracts to join a number of players that have long-term contracts with the club so people like Mo Salah, Sadio Mane etc have been tied up for the long term now a number of other clubs in the Premier League clubs like Arsenal, Manchester United and Chelsea have had significant problems doing the same with players like Aaron Ramsey, Eden Hazard, David De Gea allowing their contracts to run down. Ian what is it Liverpool are doing that gives them an extra level of organisation in this area that allows them to tie up their players?
2: I suppose the first thing. which Liverpool have, which the the three clubs you mentioned, Arsenal, Manchester United and Chelsea don't have, is that they are challenging very strongly for the Premier League title and doing so for the first time in four or five years. And if they do win, it'll be the first time in a very long time. So um, it's much easier in my experience to get players to commit to long-term contracts at clubs if there's a feel-good factor around the club if the club are winning matches, obviously, because that creates the feel-good factor in the dressing room. Um, in the cases of Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold, <clears throat> um, specifically, they were both on relatively low contracts, having signed uh, one from Hull City and the other, obviously, through the um, academy at Liverpool. So they were really earning much less than the, the hundred grand a week that is the average wage at Liverpool's first-team squad. So that helps. Um, and the second thing is, um, in terms of... Uh, the way in which Liverpool have gone about their business. They've taken those players way before the um, six months, 18 months we've seen left on the contracts of the likes of Aaron Rams and Aidan Hazard um, and so made these players better paid
1: <coughs>
2: for longer time. Um, at time, as I said, when uh, they have um, the best you know, opportunity in, in the last five years to, to win the Premier League title and they've also of course got a manager who clearly the players like to play for they believe in him as um and they've again um players decision making is is around three main factors um one do they think the club can meet their ambition two will the club meet their financial um uh, demands? And thirdly, do they feel like the manager trusts in that individual player, i.e. he'll get game time? I think what you can see Liverpool right now is they're ticking all those categories. Now, let's take, for example, Aaron Ramsey, who signed a pre-contract with Juventus. Um, not only did Arsenal compl- they, they ceased contract negotiations, Arsenal breached it was because his financial demands were, were outrageous um, and, of course, the Mesut Ozil renewal con- uh, contract this time last year um, created all sorts of problems in the Arsenal dressing room. Um, Not only that, uh, Unai Emery had effectively told Ramsey that he would not be a regular first-team player um, and therefore they have crossed those three uh, criteria that I'd said Liverpool um, have managed to tick with their younger players. As for Aidan Hazard, different scenario, 18 months left in his contract, but has been, as he said in an interview with France Football this, this week, at Chelsea seven years when every domestic honour there um, in that time uh, does have ambitions to do something differently. And as we said on the transfer window right at the beginning of this season, um, it's my belief that he already has an agreement to join Real Madrid, which is up to him whether he uptakes or not. I believe he will. Um, and therefore, Chelsea's attempts to get into a new contract will fail. Um, again, at, when you get to Hazard's level, the financial aspect isn't as important because... It, as one of the top 10 players in Europe, he will be able to command whatever he wants and won't be equaled or bettered anywhere else. Um, secondly, um, the ambition of the club. Well, he doesn't see much progress in Champions League and that's what he wants to win. And of course, Real Madrid is one of the most glamorous clubs in the world. So um, I think that's the difference at the moment. And I think Duncan can, do, can uh, talk about um, some of the difficulties Manchester United have had, both long-term and short-term with their contract renewals.
0: Yeah, look, Manchester United's strategy is entirely different. Um, they they haven't been looking to tie down their best players. In fact, they've been actively um, waiting and pausing um, and running contracts down to the final year. Uh, quite often, using the the one year option, um, unilateral option that they have written into most of their player contracts as a as a backstop, if you like. Um, so when the player would appear to be...
1: There's a ban on uh, Brexit pattern here, Duncan, come on. <laughs> <laughs> There's well, enough
0: ed- about the backstop on the news. <laughs> ed, Woodward, ed Woodward, Theresa May, you know, spot the similarities. Um, that's the, the, the lack of forward thinking is certainly um, a common Element um, and also, if you want to push it a bit further, the assumption that it's Manchester United and uh, and we can do what we like because we're the biggest club and um, players want to stay here, um, this also has some parallels with the uh, with the the Brit- Britain. It's Britain. We can do what we like, and everyone will come around to um, our negotiating stance eventually if we just keep saying the same thing to them um, time after time after time. Um, the the, the difference is is the lack of strategy. Um, and most of the time, United have got away with it in the sense that their players don't want to leave the club um, and they're not in demand at clubs who can uh, offer them a better or um, well, similar financial terms or a, or better circumstances at a footballer. Um, but that's actually uh, worked against them and they get left with players like Rojo um like I would say Luke Shaw, um, like uh, Antonio Valencia, uh, Matteo Darmion, a, a good example. Once again, we see um, discussion about whether he will move to uh, Italy in this transfer window. Um, so lots of guys who are on the fringe of the team um, but being paid very well, um, who do have some proposals from other clubs. United don't want to, uh, don't, don't think the, the transfer fees um, are significant enough so they hold on and and carry on paying them for another year quite often renew the contract in the um, expectation that they'll be able to sell at a good price next time around um, it's just a it's just not a very coherent strategy where you're you're holding on to players in the idea you'll sell them for more money as opposed to what um, Liverpool and Manchester City are doing which is you know it's very logical you have the players you think are good um, they perform for you, you know uh, there's the possibility they might move elsewhere. Therefore, you put them on long-term deals to make it harder for them to go elsewhere because you, if, if a club comes in for them, like Barcelona did for Philippe Coutinho, you can extract a huge um, transfer fee uh, for the deal and then use that money from, from that um, sale to put the players who you're, you're retaining on better contracts, which is what they've done. I think Liverpool are, are a little bit different from Manchester City in the sense that nobody leaves City against uh, the club's wishes. Um, they just they have a degree of financial muscle behind them, which has enabled them to say, even when some of the top players have been targeted, we're just not going to sell. Um, it doesn't matter what you offer us. We're not, we're not interested in letting... Uh, this player go um, and the player is made aware that he cannot um, manipulate a transfer in, the, in the, the kind of fashion that Philippe Coutinho did at Liverpool uh, therefore his option is run your contract down um, and no, none of the players City have wanted to keep have actually taken that option in the end or sign a new deal with us um, on better terms uh, which they've done repeatedly um, and the diff i think you what you end up with is a far stronger squad because you have you' you're you're consistently examining your options and saying these players are core to our goals uh we pay, we pay these ones better we retain them we shift out the the um, the fringe players and uh and we don't have that kind of internal dissent uh we don't have players fretting about. Um, whether they need to get a new move whether they need to get a new contract Um, and as Ian points out I think Liverpool have also had the advantage of because the recruitment um, up until uh, very recently when they've started going for for expensive players has been targeted on um, guys who can develop into top players rather than actually are top players they're signing them on not the highest of salaries so they do have scope to increase uh, their pay significantly when they establish themselves in the way that Mo Salah or Sadio Mani have within the team. Um, So, a huge contrast, and I I don't think that contrast is unconnected with where the two teams are in the league at present because they they don't have to deal with these subsidiary issues. Um, The players are focused, the manager's focused, he knows what it what what he has available to him and, and he's not fighting media wars um, over the future of uh, an Eden Hazard um, or the future of a David De Gea. You know, um, Aaron Ramsey, you're looking at top players in, in all three of these clubs consistently being a focus of attention away from the football pitch and a distraction for the managers because of it.
2: It's also um, relevant to say that uh, on our Uh, New Wednesday pod of this week, Um, we debated whether or not um, the top English clubs, Premier League clubs, could still compete uh, in the market for the best young players. And Duncan told us that Franca de Jong, who obviously comes into that category, uh, had agreed to join Barcelona. So the clubs like Liverpool, um, Manchester City, and you've got to see Spurs as well, who on a smaller level... Um, in terms of wages, but they do seem to renew their younger players' contracts on an almost annual basis, if not six-monthly basis, in the case of Harry Kane and Dele Alli. Um, You get the feeling that their strategy is not only um, to protect their best players uh, from moving, but also because they have effectively said we can't compete for Frankie de Jong, Um, although I think in Liverpool's case, the sale of Coutinho was very clever in retrospect because they were able to bring in um, Alisson and Virgil Van Dijk, uh, as a result of the uh, the investment that they received from Barcelona for for one player. So um, there's definitely a balancing the books going on in in the Premier League, uh, even at the top, um, and it's the clubs who are behaving with a longer term strategy who are benefiting.
0: Just one one last point: in Liverpool, they do have a lot more money to play with um, because of, they've got the the new stand um, with the commercial uh, revenue involved in the in the sponsors boxes that they've added in there. They're now a regular Champions League club. Um, If you look at the the period uh, not so long ago where they were essentially reaching the Champions League only one season out of two, um, they're now there and they're going into the latter stages. Um, The recent um, UEFA landscaping report, which I think came out this week, uh, predicted that for um, the 17-18 season, Liverpool will declare um, a profit of over €100 million, Euros, um, which, if it's correct, will be the biggest profit ever made by um, a European football club in a single season. So they have firepower to play with because they've got decisions right over the, the last few years and, uh, and built you know, infrastructure, which creates match day revenue, and then built a squad, which creates the broadcast revenue you can get when you go deep into the Champions League
1: moving on now to our preview of the huge FA Cup tie between Arsenal and Manchester United this evening Ian we have an Arsenal team that's gone through quite a bit of tumult in terms of behind the scenes uh, goings on uh, you've got Sven Tat, the head of recruitment has left even Gazidis has left What's going on at Arsenal?
2: Well, remember that um, Ivan Gazidis was the one who appointed um, the new uh, people to uh, Director of Football Operations and Head of Recruitment. And when he decided to leave, I'm sure the ones he left behind, as, as you'd imagine, in that situation, felt a little bit kind of isolated and, and deserted. Um, in the case of Michelin remember he was brought from Borussia Dortmund, um, where he'd worked closely with Jürgen Klopp. Um, Previously, had a very good reputation. Uh, obviously, pierre Nick Obamayang was brought in um, for last summer, and I think actually has been one of Arsenal's best signings of recent years. He's currently, joint top scorer in the Premier League. Um, he also would be responsible for the signing of, of Lacazette, uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan, who of course, was also at Borussia Dortmund when he was there, and the now infamous uh, contract upgrade for Mesut Ozil. Uh, this time last year when Alexis Sanchez left to go to Manchester United. So I think you can say he's got a couple of hits there, maybe a couple of misses. Um, I think I don't think the players themselves, um, who were, if you like, directly uh, in some way linked to Mislintat, will feel um, that his departure in any way undermines their part uh, in Arsenal Football Club. Um, I mean, their commitment and um, and indeed the club's commitment to them. Um, seems very secure. But um, in terms of what Arsenal are trying to do, that's difficult to now to predict or even to, to see where that's going. Remember, Gazetas resigned because he was getting a job at EC Milan as CEO. Mislintat chose to leave as well, so clearly there's been some friction with regards to his role and what he has been suggesting or proposing in terms of transfers or, or, or players leaving. So Unai Emery is the one that, that is, intrigues me He clearly, you know, was was appointed on these people's recommendation. Um, He's only seven months into his job and now he sees, you know, one person who he would have worked very closely with going. There have been rumours about, um, of course, the sport director, Roma Monchi, um, who was with Emery in uh, Sevilla and worked very, very well together. Um, Might be the person who's who's to come in, but... um, Monti was interviewed by Arsenal, but it turned out it was too late because he'd effectively agreed to join Roma verbally and didn't want to break his word. So uh, that would certainly be an obvious link to make. And Arsenal are now, um, post-Arsene Wenger, committed to this structure of having you know, two football operations, if you like, one, one in head of football operations, one head of recruitment, working in tandem with the head coach and then with the board, Uh, And I think it's sensible, given um, how much Wenger micromanaged every single transfer or every single player that was scouted. My favourite example was having uh, Jose Antonio Reyes, who was at the time the club's record signing, watched 43 times in person by Arsenal scouts before they decided to sign him. Wenger was notoriously, notoriously vacillatory when it came to actually committing to signing a player. So having other people to, if you like, both take responsibility or, in the other hand, take the blame if it doesn't work out, um, is probably a good move for Arsenal. So I think they will move quickly. They obviously don't want to be going into preparation for a big summer transfer window with no um, head of recruitment.
0: Well, look, we've heard a lot about the importance of structure in the past week. And what you have to say about Arsenal is there's been an incredible upheaval of structure, not once, but twice. And inside the space of a year. So they, they finally took the decision to move Arsene Wenger out, um, the man who essentially built the, the, the modern Arsenal, um, made the stadium happen, sent the team the way it did, uh, the way they played the football, um, was, was central to everything about that club for so long. Um, and then the person um, who enacted that change Um, And built a new structure uh, to replace Wenger, uh, then resigns uh, uh, just a few weeks into the new season and Ivan Gazidis and takes up a role at Milan um, early December as chief executive officer. Um, One of his appointments, one of his key appointments, Fen Mislantat, who he'd brought in to take over recruitment and and cleared out um, essentially, cleared out most of Arsenal's recruitment staff to, to bring that in um, also uh, disappears um, resigns uh, just in in the past week he'll, he'll stay on for a period while he works his notice but has made it clear he doesn't want to to be part of the Arsenal project anymore um, so you, you've got two of a, of, of, a, of the new triumvirate um, along with uh, Raul Sanyehi um, who they hired from Barcelona as head of football um, Departing inside the space of the first season, when they decide to do this this in, in, immense change to the setup of of Arsenal, um, Sanyehi he seems to have won the war there, and um, and, I, and I understand that part of the reason Mislintat is leaving is because of disagreement with Sanjay over recruitment. Um, so they've got some some big solutions to come up with in terms of the structure of the club. In terms of the support for Unai Emery um, and, and certainly in terms of the squad um, and it, it should also be noted that last January um, they made massive decisions in terms of the future um, setup of the team and, and their spending upon it in signing Aubameyang from Dortmund um, and in giving uh, Meza Ozil the biggest um, contract in the history of the club, one of the biggest contracts ever in English football, uh, to remain there. who um, has now been almost entirely sidelined by Emery and uh, who Arsenal would accept offers for in this window if they could find a place that he would accept to go to. Um, and then also taking Henrik Mkhitaryan from, from Manchester United and giving him a significant upgrade on his Manchester United contract as, as part of the Alexis Sanchez deal. So there's a common theme in those um, three decisions in that they're, the money that was being directed to these players is being directed to players um, at the latter end of their career, certainly at a stage where um, they're unlikely to, to be able to sell the player at profit. Um, so they were big bets that, um, that Arsenal's new structure took um, at the time. Um, and we'll have to see whether the, the, the structure that's now going to succeed them are happy with those bets um, and, uh, and are going to sustain them. Um, obviously, it Ozil isn't working for them um, and they're, try- they're trying to move him elsewhere. Aubameyang um, has been, you'd have to say, has been a big success. But uh, you look over the rest of the squad, there is a great amount of work to be done there. And the position in the Premier League isn't what they would want it to be. And the, the, the importance of qualifying for Champions League football this season. Um, they are, despite um, the excellent win over Chelsea at the weekend, three points behind Chelsea off fourth place. Perhaps Tottenham are coming back into range, given the injury... Uh, and absence problems Tottenham have at the moment. But on the other hand, we have Manchester United, who they play tonight in the FA Cup, back on their heels on the, the same points total and um, and with some great momentum behind them. So inter- very interesting times at Arsenal. Um, and the, sort of the early season optimism uh, of Emery's reign uh, has been tempered not so much by Emery himself, but by what's going on in the background around him um, at Arsenal Football Club.
1: Let's switch over to United now. They go into this game with seven wins in a row under their new manager Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. If they win this game, then they face up to Burnley, Leicester and Fulham. These guys could essentially go ten games unbeaten. Duncan, would they be in an impossible situation where they could not do anything but offer... Only Gunnar Solskjær the job at that point.
0: I don't think so. I don't think there's any necessity for um, the Glazers for Ed Woodward to make a final decision on who the new manager will be during the season. And I think it would be um, very foolhardy of them to do so. Um, they are obviously and have been looking at other options um, for a long time. Um, they've been preparing a possible succession to Mourinho. Um, for a good part of the season. Um, As we've said on the podcast several times since Solskjaer's uh, good start to to his his period as as interim manager, um, he's placing himself in a great position in terms of, one, having the the backing of the supporters. No question at all that the supporters, majority of the supporters, want Solskjaer to be appointed permanent manager. Um, They're enjoying the football and enjoying his attitude and enjoying having a club hero back installed uh, in the manager's chair and, and winning games again. Um, so that, that's easy for him and barring a disastrous run, run of results, I don't see that changing for him either. Um, also in his advantages, he's cheap. Um, he will cost a lot less money on contract. It uh, will co- uh, cost a small amount that you would expect to extract from his what remains his permanent contract at Mulder, um, but nothing compared to what it would cost to take uh, Maurizio Pochettino from Tottenham. Um, and I would note this week that Pochettino was again uh, talking uh, in, in very um, direct terms about Sir Alex Ferguson, about Manchester United, about uh, the lack of resources at Tottenham. Um, some very interesting quotes from him which which uh, which you can draw your own conclusions from, but Solskjaer's cheaper if he's getting results, if he gets them into the champions League, if for example he manages to win the FA Cup, then I think it becomes an easy proposition for the glazers to appoint him because he's because he will be working he'll have achieved what they wanted him to achieve in this season. the fans want him, and he'll save them money and as we've said many times, the glazers are interested in profits. They're not interested in football prizes. However, there's no reason for them to, to rush that decision. Um, why? Solskjaer wants the job. Uh, they have until the end of the season. Uh, they can assess how things turn out. And, and remember, Mourinho's early sacking it was quite uh, atypical for um, a Glazer-Manchester United decision in, in that when they got rid of Moyes, when they got rid of Louis Van Gaal. Both of those decisions were made after waiting for an extended period of time until they were sure that they hadn't qualified for next season's Champions League and they could dismiss uh, those managers for less money because they weren't due them bonuses um, for qualifying for the Champions League. And, and also, I think they just waited to see, particularly in Van Gaal's case, whether he could turn it around. So they're not, generally they're not, um, a quick snap decision making board, anyway. Um, so I think we have to wait till the end of the season to get an answer on this one.
1: Ian, there's uh, five games after the ten game spell that I mentioned there, where they go up against PSG twice, Arsenal, City, and they go away to Crystal Palace. Will it be at the end of that section of games that we can better judge the manager
2: um, from the? point of view that he only came in seven games ago, then yes um, no one can be judged uh, on seven games as a success or a failure, although of course it has happened in the Premier League recently um, with certain managers being replaced very quickly but uh, in the case of Manchester United they've developed uh, a fairly (coughs) settled um, team selection they've obviously got a rhythm of play which uh, has become natural to them and therefore has allowed them to um, effectively recreate an identity and one, of course, which the fans have latched on to. But the Glazers have shown time and time again that they are really not interested in what the fans think and they could, you know, shout until the cows come home, they always should get the job. And my information is there's absolutely no um, uh, feeling amongst the Glazers at Woodward that they will make a decision before the end of the season, regardless of results. Um, Clearly, if... uh, Solskjaer wins the Champions League trophy um, which is a, a bit of a pipe dream at the moment but if he did it would be very difficult not to give him the job as indeed um, Roman Mranovic fought uh, after um, uh, Chelsea won the Champions League trophy not to give the man who won the Holy Grail the job but then eventually no one else would take it and so uh, um, Di Matteo was, was given the job by default almost and was sacked three or four months later so um, It's one of those situations, wait and see. You have to wait and see who's available uh, to come in because right now Pochettino remains the first choice. The Dan will have finished his sabbatical. uh, is obviously uh, being considered as a candidate as well. Um, But a lot will happen in the next three, four months with regards to both um, on the pitch and uh, what's happening elsewhere in Europe and who's available before the the, the Glazers make that decision. I think as for the game itself, it's going to be very, very intriguing because you've got two teams who uh, have almost resurrected form. Uh, I think Arsenal were very impressive in dismantling Chelsea and then very gritty in coming back to win an added team against Fulham. And obviously Man United are on this seven-win spin, which um, makes them seem quite irresistible at the moment, uh, especially the way some of the players, in particular Pogba, Rashford and Martial, have upped their game. Um, interestingly, now that Josie Mourinho is no longer the manager. So, yeah, I think it's going to be, it could be, you know, this is a classic fixture in English football, whether it's in the, in the Premier League or in the FA Cup. Um, it's one of the iconic fixtures. Um, uh, pr- probably doesn't mean so much anymore because obviously, over the course of 10 years or more, these were the two clubs who uh, would almost certainly finish first and second in the Premier League. Um, and of course, you, know, you think of the semi final that uh, Villa Park in 1999, and Ryan Giggs's rug um, when he took his shirt off. Uh, people will always uh, equate this fixture with with that moment, and of course, Ferguson himself attributes that that moment, that goal, to being one of the key factors that why they went on to win the treble uh, in 1999. So, um, looking forward to this, um, I think it's going to be tight, and I think it's also going to be exciting um, in terms of uh, the, the the actual. Intensity and momentum of the play.
1: Now it's time for the quickfire round, and today we're going to look at a combined eleven for the Arsenal Manchester United game we've been previewing. So we're gonna to stick to the standard four two three one formation that we often use in these scenarios. We're gonna start with Duncan, who's our goalkeeper.
0: It's uh, very, very easy, that one. Um, If you look at the performances of Arsenal's uh, new goalkeeper, um, Bert Leno, um, I think there are plenty of question marks over his um, ability at this level um, and whether he will transpire to be a top Premier League goalkeeper. Um, Manchester United's goalkeeper is the best in the Premier League um, for some the best in the world. Therefore, it has to be David De Gea. Ian back.
2: Um, I'm going to go with Luke Shaw on this one. Um, I'm assuming he's not injured.
0: Big <laughs> <think laughs> assumption <laughs> with Luke Shaw.
2: Well, exactly, exactly. Um, I think he, I think he has improved, and you know, he, he does the defending, he does the attacking. Uh, I think he's becoming more dependable um, as the season goes on. So, I will, I will go with Shaw.
1: Duncan, centre back.
0: Difficult position to choose because uh, it's problem area for both teams and has been for a long time um, I think I'll go for Lauren Koscielny, um because just back from injury uh, but I think the most naturally talented um, certainly as a footballer, a footballing centre-back of uh, all the players we have to choose from between those squads and, uh, and capable at the top of his game of, of being um, one of the better centre-backs in the Premier League
1: Ian, who's partnering Kishelny?
2: Again, it's the best of a bad lot, really, Um in the case of these, these two teams, um, I, I'm not uh, going to go with any of the Manchester United um, second division of Phil Jones or um, Eric by Victor Lindelof. I think Socrates, um, I mean, I would also prefer to call him Socrates, given my philosophical background, um, <laughs> would, would probably be the man that I'd put in there beside uh, Koscielny. They seem to do, do well as a partnership. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think I, I know what Arsenal... Um, centre-back line would probably be the best of the of the bad lot
1: Now right-back has caused a bit of uh, consternation with some of our choices in the past I think we got a bit of stick for uh, Ashley Young over um, Kyle Walker I saw there was a tweet that had about 150 likes So Duncan controversy abound who is going to be the right-back
0: well, Pep Guardiola doesn't like Kyle Walker anymore, so maybe it wasn't such a bad choice after all. I think it was Ian's one. I'm hoping that was Ian's it one. Was. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think it has to be Ashley Young again, given Hector Bellerin's injury. You look through the list of options, I think Jogo Dallo is going to be the best of those right-backs that are at the club at the moment, but it's possibly a little bit early for him. Um, a game of this importance um, he's shown himself to be a, a great attacking force already but I've been quite questionable in his positional sense and having to um, to do a lot of uh, uh, using a lot of his pace and his physique to get back into position after, being, after stepping out of the defensive line so I think Ashley Young um, for his ability to put a 7 out of 10 performance in almost every week um, and his leadership. And, and also it should be added a, a great um, ability from a dead ball, which uh, which has the ability to produce goals either directly or off the head of one of his teammates um, in these kind of games.
1: OK, Ian, central defensive midfield. I'll go
2: with uh, Aaron Ramsey on this one. Um, I think his uh, behaviour, his performances and his uh, integrity uh, have been outstanding <clears throat> throughout what's been a very difficult uh, period for him regarding his future. Uh, he showed against Fulham last week that he is still one of the best box-to-box midfielders. A dying breed, it has to be said, uh, in this day and age. It used to be box-to-box was the, one of the most valuable uh, qualities you could have on a team, but but Ramsey is one of a dying breed uh, I don't have any doubts whatsoever about his commitment and he loves playing against Manchester United. Remember, that was his boyhood team. His boyhood idols were Manchester United. So, uh, I think he could come up with a very, a very big performance on Friday night.
1: Who plays alongside Aaron Ramsey then, Duncan?
0: Well, a big argument for having Lucas Torreira in there. Um for his energy and uh, having said earlier in the programme how difficult it is for midfielders to adapt to the Premier League, he has had um, a very good start to, to his Arsenal career and his career in England. But I would have to go for Nemanja Matic ahead of him um, and I, I think Matic uh, is, uh, has made a lot more friends amongst the Manchester United support as the results have improved there um, and shown um, the range of his skills in that role, not just in his positional defensive ability, but also uh, in his ability to hit forward passes um, and and play in tight spaces. So Matic just gets the edge there for me.
1: Ian, left wing.
2: Uh, I'm going to go for Anthony Martial. I think, again, someone who's been outstanding in the past uh, few weeks uh, seems to be uh, coming onto his game uh, much more. uh, I think scored already nine goals uh, this season in the Premier League. I just think he's a wonderful talent and someone who also, uh, when he is on his game, can be a game-breaker. And by that, I mean someone who can pull something out of his locker, which in a tight situation, whether it's a bit of skill, uh, a pass, or indeed uh, you know an outrageous goal from any angle or distance is someone who uh, would be a very good choice on that side.
1: Duncan, number
0: 10. Um, playing this formation uh, would have to be Paul Pogba. Um, if the team's set up for him and if he's given the freedom um, that he demands um, and quite um, aggressively demands at times. he And and if he's motivated, he's shown how good he can be there, um, both in terms of his passing, but also his ability to shoot from outside the area and break into the box and score goals. So um, on current form, you'd have to have him at number 10.
1: Uh, Ian on the right do you think you can get Jimmy Milner in here anywhere? Uh, alas
2: these are two of the teams he's never played for so I can't, I can't even do it historically um, I think on the basis that he cannot be left out of this team even though the temptation might be to play him at the point of the attack but I think we, I'm going to give Duncan the uh, the dolly here on the centre forward so I'm looking for Marcus Rashford on the right <clears throat> I just don't think on current form he can be left out Um again scores goals, puts people in, passing ability needs to improve, but um, his his speed and his, his eye for goal uh, I think means that he has to be
0: included. Interesting choice made that a lot easier for me. Um I was I was having over whether it was Obama Yang or or Rashford for uh, number nine. I've probably had Jesse Lingard playing on the right hand side given how he's he's been in recent games. But yeah um Obama Obama Yang will get the shout, fourteen goals. Um, and three assists this season. Not not the most accurate of strikers. Um, his, his shots and target ratio isn't as good as, as Rashford's been, um, but uh, has shown that ability to provide goals in heavy quantities that he had at Borussia Dortmund and was the attraction in signing him. And, I don't think has caused the, the problems off the field that um, many expected um, and and was one of the reasons why a lot of clubs were cautious about bringing them from German football elsewhere.
1: OK, well, that combined 11 is De Gea, short left-back, Koscielny and Sokratis in central defence with Ashley Young on the right, um, Matic and Ramsey in midfield with a attacking midfield three of Martial, Pogba and Rashford with Obama Yang up top I think we can clearly see where United and Arsenal's uh, problems lie Looks at that, looking at that defence um, going into this game guys, do you think that's going to be a key factor and what is your predictions going forward, Duncan with you first
0: I think it will be a key factor and I think it's a good thing from an entertainment perspective um, I, I, I expect um, Solskjaer to go for it um, he was cautious against Tottenham uh, and put in a, a careful uh, plan to to catch them on a counter-attack which worked and then rode his luck in the second half um, but given Arsenal's defence given the way his attack has been playing you'd expect him to to try and outscore them um, I, I think we'll get goals for, the, for those reasons um, I'd probably just have Manchester United as favourites because of um, the injury issues Arsenal have, uh, but it really is a game uh, you know that could go either way. Uh, first goal very important.
2: Um, uh, Arsenal a bit jekyll and hyde um, uh, at home this season against big teams that we saw them uh, you know taken apart by Spurs and then um, deconstruct Chelsea with, with a, you know rather um, an ease which no one expected. I think the fact that the defenses, uh, central defence, particularly on both sides, is questionable, um, whereas the attack on both sides is certainly the best aspect at this moment in time. Well, as Duncan said, make it uh, an exciting game. Uh, and yeah, look, if the shots are accurate, and remember, sometimes it comes out in games like this where you can have 10, 12 shots on target and end up with no goals. But if the shots are, are, are on goal are accurate and, and you could end up with you know sharing seven goals perhaps, maybe maybe less. But then again, it's not uh, with the realms of possibility. As I said uh, before, we'll see a bit of a classic.
1: OK, it's time to t- slam this particular transfer window shut. But fear not, we'll be back on Monday f- to fulfil all your podcasting needs. To continue the debate, we are all on Twitter and even have our own transfer window official account at TransferPodcast. To speak to our pundits, they are at Duncan Castles and at Garbo SG. I'm at Johnny R. McFarlane. If you like the podcast and we know thousands of you do, please give something back by popping onto iTunes and giving us a five-star review as this helps us reach as many listeners as possible. We'll be back on Monday. Thanks for listening.